This week's show is sponsored by 80s in the Sand, a week-long 80s vacation in Punta Cana. From November 11th to 18th, 2017, come join me, actress Debbie Foreman, and a ton of amazing 80s bands and celebrities, including Loverboy, Howard Jones, Tom Bailey, Starship, Berlin, Night Rangers, The Smithereens, and original MTV VJs Alan Hunter and Nina Blackwood. Actors like Anthony Michael Hall, Andrew McCarthy, Curtis Armstrong, Diane Franklin, they'll all be there, and you all get to meet them in person. Go to 80sinthesand.com for more information or email me at podcast at sit80s.com for our special promo code that will save you hundreds off the listed prices. That's 80sinthesand.com. Now on with the show. Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the laughter. (laughs) The heroes. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Ghostbusters. And the honesty. What's up, Norm? My nipples. It's freezing out there. (laughs) Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. And today we take a trip back 30 years to the TV show 30 something. I mean, there's something you're obviously not telling me, and I think that you should. There's nothing to tell. Okay. With me today, since she's been a huge fan of 30 something since before she even turned 18, it's Jen with one N. Hello. It's so weird. It's just you and me. I know. Alone. How will I get? No, I've always told my friend, don't sing karaoke, and I just did it. (laughs) You just did it. I just did it. You violated the cardinal rule of podcasting. (sighs) Uh, B Rad is on vacation with the family this week. Um, But I'm really, really happy with this show um, because Jen, being the super 30 something fan she is, had this amazing interview with Aww. an author, an author who wrote a book on 30-something as it turns 30 years old. And um, I just I, – I enjoyed every second of the podcast uh, interview. I really thought you did an amazing job. Oh, well, thank you so much. That's really nice to hear. I was so excited about it. Um, just brief background when we were talking about our mother. I think I might have mentioned this in the interview, so I won't go on too long. But when I found out I had the opportunity to interview um, – author Scott Ryan. I was so excited because I have actually been listening to his podcast, 30 something for a couple of years now. Didn't know there was a book in the works that was his book. Um, so to be able to talk to him was so much fun. Um, for those of us who have not become the 30 something fans that you are, uh, give us a little bit of background on the TV show. So 30 something came out in the late eighties, 1987, and it only ran for four seasons, but I think I'm glad that it only ran for four seasons because, I don't know, the stories sort of told themselves and and, uh, and it was good to end on a high note. But um, yeah, so it's about this group of friends who are baby boomers. Um, they're all various ages, say, I don't know, 30 something. And... Um, <laughs> And they're all friends and and they know each other in various ways. Some are related, some are married, some have been friends since high school. And it's just about their lives. I mean, there's no real, 
you know, much, much more to it. But, but I think it was one of the first shows to just take adult life and present it in a very realistic and serious way. And sometimes not so realistic and sometimes not so serious, which I think is what made the show so much fun. What, what at your age, I mean, you, when you're like, like you said, you weren't even 18 yet. And the show comes out. What was it about it that attracted it to you? Cause I mean, it was obviously, I think it would obviously have been meant for an older audience at that time. It is. Well, first of all, I'm weird. Um, and I, and as a kid, I, re- I think I even mentioned this during the graduation show, but I always liked shows that were about um, people that were older than me. Like I always wanted to be an adult and I always wanted to be like, you know, when I was in early grades, I wanted to be a junior high. When I was in junior high, I was looking at, you know, St. Elmo's Fire and I wanted to be in college. So when I was in high school, here's this group of friends that were like, it seemed not very far from where I was. And so I was kind of looking for it as like forward to that time and kind of as not a template, but sort of an example of, oh, so this is how you (laughs) live life as an adult. And what's so funny is after I rewatch the show as an adult, a lot of those things have happened. You know, I've had fights with friends and I've had disagreements with my husband and I've had children or ch- a child. And I don't know, it's just, it's, it seems still very true. Or in fact, more true because at the time I watched it, I was still in high school. <laughs> I didn't know <laughs> anything about anything, but, but, and, and honestly, it's just a super entertaining show. I'm hoping with the interview, people who haven't watched it in a while, will will pick it up again. And people who maybe didn't watch very much of it, will give it a shot because it's so worth your time. And the only way to see it these days, and correct me if I'm wrong, is it is to the DVD collection, really? Yes. It's not streaming? It was for a while, I think maybe on Hulu, but it's it's not, I couldn't find it. It's not anymore. But yeah, all oh, four great. seasons are on DVD, and it's kind of fun because there's extras too. But it's that, it's that company that does uh, Shout, the Shout Factory, that's what it is. And they sort of um, save these old fan favorites like 30-something and, and, and uh, remaster them and put them out. Well, I, I would want to watch it myself now. Days after hearing this interview, it'll it'll sell you on it. But two, it has Timothy Busfield in it, and he's always been one of my favorite actors. So that alone makes me want to watch it. Yeah, good, good. Well, we're going to launch into the interview now. Stay tuned afterwards. We have full seggies. But in the meantime, uh, Jen and her interview with author Scott Ryan of Thirty Something at Thirty. So we're here today, I am so glad to say, with Scott Ryan, the author of 30-something at 30, which is easily my favorite show. Easily my favorite show. And I, I um, well, welcome. Let's say welcome to Scott. Hi, Scott. Oh, I'm so excited to be on a show with someone who, like me, thinks 30-something is the best show ever. Yes. And I do believe that our Stuck in the 80s listeners, there are pockets of 30-something fans. And I'm going to guess rabid fans too. So I'm excited to um, to tell them about this book and to um, sort of reignite the passion for people who, who may have watched it casually in the 80s and kind of forgot about it. So glad to have you on Stuck in the 80s. Oh, I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So Scott, I watched this show all four years of high school, the entire run of the show, which is so weird, I know. But um, <laughs> from 1987 to 1991, um, I tuned in every Tuesday night, even though I kind of had no idea what they were talking about, because I wasn't even um, 
you know, in a committed relationship, probably never mind mar- get married and having children and that sort of thing. But, um, but I watched it on Lifetime too. So I'm just curious, how did you first encounter 30 something? So I saw it the first time on Lifetime when it first came there. I knew about 30 something in high school, just like you. I had a friend who watched it and they would tell me about it, but I had felt that I had missed the time to start it. You know, I didn't watch it from the beginning. So I had always wanted to. And as soon as I got the opportunity to watch it in, I think it was about 91, 92 when it came to Lifetime, I watched it and I loved it so much that when it was done, I watched it again and I taped every episode on VHS, pausing to take the commercials out. That was going to be my next question. Was it commercial free? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, my tapes were. They were commercial free and... I just, I would go back to these tapes about every five years. And every time I did it, I had a new favorite character. Can I ask who was your favorite character when you were in high school? Um, I, this may show a bit of immaturity on my part, but my favorite was Melissa in high school. And it never, Melissa never stopped being my favorite, even though I began to, as I got older, identify with other characters. Melissa has always been my favorite. Mm, Okay. That's okay. Yeah. But, what about you? For, well, like, how about right now? What's who's your favorite? Well, right now my favorite is Ellen. Okay. And when I watched it the first time, when I was in college, I really didn't care about Ellen. I didn't really notice her. I was so interested in Michael and Elliot's journey through work and Miles Drentel, and I sort of was more interested in that. Sure. But as I got older and life has changed. I don't know. It's Ellen's story that moves me the most. Yeah, her. I feel like her performance too has, was the most subtle, kind of understated mm-hmm. compared to um, the other characters. But let let me go back. Let me step back a little bit. What is it about this show? I, and before you answer, I want you to forget everything you've learned about the many many hours of interviews you've done with everybody. What do you think it was for you that hooked you in the very in the first place when you first started loving it? Well. I think it is about patience. You know, the beginning of the series is not great. It's good, but it's not great. I would never say that the pilot of 30-something is one of the best pilots of any show ever. But you really get a sense that these are real people. And then in episode four, they do... a episode called Couples, where you see the same event from different perspectives. And that was very new and different. So I thought, oh, this is interesting. But by the time the show gets going, you have, you just love these characters. And you don't even think of them as characters. You think of them as friends. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. So um, I want to talk a little bit about the book now. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit how 30-something at 30 came to be. I mean, it's it's an oral history, right? It's not necessarily a... Right. And I didn't expect to do an oral history. What happened is I have a podcast called The Red Room Podcast. It kind of covers Twin Peaks and other quality TV shows. We Anything that's quality, we cover. And I did an episode on 30-something, just one episode. Well, I you know, advertise it on Twitter. Well, Richard Kramer, who's one of the writers and producers, he retweeted my tweet. And I'm like, (laughs) that can't be the Richard Kramer. Like, that's crazy. So I contacted him and I'm like, are you 
Richard Kramer? And he was like, yes, I am. And I said, could I interview you for my podcast? And he came on and we just had an amazing discussion. It was like three hours long. Oh my gosh. You know, it was way longer than I could put on the air. I had to trim it down and everything. Cause I'm like, no one's going to be interested in this or very few people for a Twin Peaks audience, sure. even though we do television. So I spun off a new podcast called the 30 something podcast. And I thought this is ridiculous. Like I'm going to do two episodes and no <laughs> one's going to listen. But once. You know, Richard got me Melanie Mayron, who played Melissa. And when she agreed to do it, then Polly Draper agreed. Then Tim Busfield, you know, it's just like they were like, what? I want to go on that. And and everyone wanted to do it. So then I thought, well, this is a book like I'm covering more than can be done in a podcast. And then that opened it up even wider to some of the more shy people who didn't really want to do a podcast, but wanted to be a part of it. So this was like the luckiest thing that ever happened to me. I just, you know, I hate to say luck like it, it wasn't work, but I mean, I was just at the right, the right man at the right place at the right time. Right. That's amazing. So Richard Kramer was your key to it all. Yes. He's my guardian angel. I, yeah. I mean, he changed my life. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, I actually remember when the podcast first came out and how excited I was because, you know, as we talked about, there was just a dearth of 30-something fan material. But um, but I, I remember as I listened to, especially the actors, I think, um, to the people on the podcast, it was, um, everyone spoke with such... Uh, affection, I guess, for the show. So so maybe they'd been kind of waiting for someone to ask, you know? Well, this seems like an, a ridiculous statement, but I promise you this is true. Ken Olin, who played Michael, told me I was the first time he's talked about 30-something since 1991. No one has interviewed him. No one has asked. That is so bizarre to me. Isn't that crazy? And like with Tim Busfield, I didn't even go through an agent. I mean, it was just him. And he, you know, I just called them and we talked and, you know, they were so reachable and so willing to share because this is crazily the first book ever done on this sh seminal show that really mattered to baby boomers in the 80s. Oh, that's so funny. That's so funny. And I, I there's one other book that's associated that I, of course, bought, um, 30 Something Stories, which was the scripts, which it should have been a clue to me back then that, that this was a very different show. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How many, especially back then, like to come out in 91 with a book of scripts, like we could see that happening now with, with some of the Sopranos or something, but yeah, 30 something was way ahead of its time. Yeah. Um, so as a viewer, I always used to get a kick out of characters being named for like writers and producers, you know, and, and then I started noticing some of the actors were directing some of the episodes, but after reading 30 something at 30, I was like, blown away at how collaborative the show was behind the scenes. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, the amazing part is, is it's created by Ed Zwick and Marshall Herskowitz. Both their wives were writers on the show. So now you've got husbands and wives writing about husbands and wives having troubles in their marriage <laughs> and using things from their marriage. And Ed Zwick and his wife, Liberty Godshell, they're still married, and I interviewed them both. And Ed said, you know, sometimes we were talking to each other through our work without <laughs> really knowing that we were. Right. And each thing commenting on it. And then, of course, Ken Olin is married to Patricia Wedig, 
who is Nancy and Michael. Scott Winett was a big time director, still is. His wife, Jill Gordon, <laughs> wrote on the show. So, you know, it's so family intertwined that I, I can't believe there's another show ever that had that much intertwinement. Right, intertwinement right. is a word. <laughs> it is now. You just coined it. You just coined it. Scott. So, um, so just uh, a little side note for '80s Nation. Ed Zwick also directed Glory with Denzel Washington, and About Last Night, of course, which came out in 1986. Um, but yeah, so so uh, you know, listening to the podcast, reading the book, um, it it actually makes a lot of sense that the that these characters would feel so real, and that the situations they're in would feel so relatable because that's really what they did right in terms of collaborating is they talked about what happened like <laughs> what happens in a marriage or what happens at work or, or that kind of thing yeah and you know liberty wrote an episode called weaning which was about hope deciding if she was going to go back to work or be a stay-at-home mom mm -hmm. and at the time liberty had just had a baby and was deciding how much she was going to work on the series or not work on the series so you know, that's why it feels real. And when I talked to her about that episode, you know, can you think of another episode of television that dealt with a woman's choice in that way to decide which way to go? And it got a lot of controversy at the time because they felt that they were making a comment one way or the other. But what it really was saying is that it's a hard choice, whether you go back to work or you don't go back to work, you know? Right, right. And that conversation has not ended. I mean, it continues to this day. And I, I remember I bought the DVDs after I just had my first and only, but my child. And I remember when I decided to stop breastfeeding. And it was this very comical moment where it was like Thanksgiving morning and I had made the decision. And, you know, I was like, I closed the door and I was in bed and I had like soft music playing. And I was, you know, nursing my babe for the final time. And then she bit me. And I was like, okay, that's it. <laughs> and that was it. And I remember thinking, oh, this feels like 30-something right, right now. So it does. It echoes. and It has echoed throughout my life anyway. Well, um, it, I think it does for everyone. And I'm in such a strange position now to be out there selling this book and interacting with fans. And I get emails really on a daily basis of people pouring their heart out to me and especially cancer survivors. And oh, yeah. sometimes I don't even know what to do with this information. I can't imagine how it is to be Patricia Wedig and, or the writers of those episodes, but this show touched people in a way that I, I think it's almost impossible to explain to someone who hasn't watched it. Right. Right. And I think you're right as, as far as the, the cancer storyline, but it's, it's sort of the, big things that happen, but also this like these tendrils of little things like the breastfeeding or, or, you know, just those, those little things that are just everyday things. It's, it's hard not to feel that way because they represented them so constantly. And so, like you said, um, it, it does, your patience does pay off when you realize how carefully they've put everything together in the most real way. Well, and honestly, that is why I started the book. I have wondered my whole life, way before I ever had a podcast, mm -hmm. why isn't there another 30-something? Why does this show not have a peer? 
you know, it's such a simple idea. Oh, we'll get these people and we'll tell their life and we're not going to have them be doctors or lawyers or no one's murdered. <laughs> you know, it's just life and no one has done it. And so that was sort of my question to set out. And I, I never got an answer. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. But what I ended up with was an oral history. And I had so many interviews that I realized it shouldn't be me telling you what 30-something's about. It should be Ed Zwick and Marshall Herskowitz and Ann Hamilton and all these other people. They should tell you. Right. And I must say, because they're all writers and because the, the, the um, cast is so intelligent and wonderful, it's super entertaining. <laughs> like It really does feel like you're listening in on a conversation of really smart, warm people. Well, I, I mean, Marshall Herskowitz and Ed Zwick are the two smartest people I've ever spoken to in my life. No offense to you. You're third. <laughs> none, none, none taken, absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, when I was transcribing other people, you kind of guess what the next word is while you're typing, your hands are moving fast. I could never do that, especially with Ed Zwick. Like he used words, I would have to pause, I'd have to look <laughs> them up. And, you know, they are very, very smart men. Right. Well, in, in sort of answer to your question um, about a, a peer for the show, it, it's I always go back to and I and I love I love it and I wish it had been longer and I'm not the first or the last person to say it but my so-called life Oh definitely I, yeah Yeah I mean it was it was a different phase of life that they were examining but uh but it you know it, it felt so much like 30 something to me both in its style and in its uh content Well and I think that my so-called life would have rivaled it if it had more than 17 episodes yeah, and maybe. Um, Winnie Holtzman was a writer on 30-something, and she was the main force behind my so-called life. And, of course, she went on to do Wicked, mm -hmm. which is crazy. Like, that was one of the times I was starstruck was interviewing Winnie Holtzman just because I'm a huge Broadway fan. And mm -hmm. to get to talk to the person who wrote Wicked was crazy for me. Like, I really wanted to say, who cares about 30-something? Tell me everything. <laughs> but I I'm writing to a new book. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a Wicked something. <laughs> So I think my so-called life is close, but it's hard to compare because it, it just didn't get a chance to grow. Sure. sure. No, that's fair. So what was something that surprised you the most as you were putting this book together? Either something you learned about somebody or, or a fact that still makes you scratch your head? Well, I think for me, there were certain things that I really believed. And I don't know, this might be digging a little deep, but... You know, there's an episode uh, called Happy New Year, and they have a New Year's party. And when you watch it the first time, you can kind of think, oh, this is nice. They're all together. But then in five episodes, Gary dies. And to me, that changes what Happy New Year was about. It seemed like that whole episode was a setup for that. So yeah. I was like all ready to, you know, like get the writer. And that was written by Richard Kramer. And I'm like, didn't you write this whole episode because of, you know, to set this up because of this point and that point? And he was like, I didn't even know Gary was going to die. <laughs> no, it's not about that at all. It's about James Joyce, the dead. And I was like, what? And then I had this other point where I was like, didn't you do this to do? And they were like, no, that, no, we didn't even know that was going to happen. So I think a lot of what I learned, I guess, was that they just told from their heart. And it's like the viewer pulls 
all these strings together. You know what I mean? I don't know mm-hmm. if that was a good answer or not, but I think that's what I learned. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, and then when you rewatch the shows and, and they are like endlessly rewatchable, these shows, I, I think. I agree. Um, that, that, you, that you can pull those sorts of things out. I mean, it... it uh, and according to them, they didn't plot out that way. They didn't plot out a season. They they didn't think of those things. They really just had these little stories and they told them. And I still don't believe them. But I mean, I asked every writer and every producer <laughs> and they all told the same story. You know, there was no writer's room. There was no big board that had, you know, this is going to happen here, here, here. Each writer got to do really their own thing. I mean, Ed and Marshall broke every story with every writer, but then they wrote it. And it was right. it was their experience. And I still, I believe them. I, I'm not saying, you know, they're lying, but it's it's almost unbelievable when you think of how perfect this show goes together. Yeah, yeah. And something else that I learned in the book was also the... Uh, the care for the writing. And I mean, I don't know, I I can't even think of a show today that even comes close to that, because it's not just the writing, but also the directing, like each show was directed by someone different, and they encouraged um, sort of different styles and different techniques and different feelings. And somehow it all and maybe it is the writing, and the fantastic acting tied it all together. And I would argue that some of the shows were less successful than others because of the directing. But, mm-hmm. but I, I mean, I, I sort of feel like that's, that was the beginning of, you know, um, imagining things and you actually see what they're imagining or sort of flights of fancy, but still remaining very realistic. Well, I interviewed Paul Haggis who went on to win an Oscar for Crash, so he's obviously a successful writer, and he wrote in the first season. And he said, they gave you so much rope that you could run out there and hang yourself with it. (laughs) And he said, and sometimes I did. But, you know, taking a chance is always a great thing when it comes to art. A television viewer is going to be a lot more forgiving if you took a chance, and maybe you didn't make it, other than doing the same thing every week over and over again, which, I mean, those are shows I can turn off in a second. Right. Well, it made for exciting, you know, from the first time it aired, it made for a pretty exciting viewing for the for the watcher, for sure, because you never quite were sure what was going to, not only who, who was going to, what was going to happen to whom, kind of soap opera style, but also, you know, how it was going to be presented to you. It was always kind of exciting. Well, I always, when, you know, a lot of people that I meet, they'll say... I've never heard of 30-something, should I watch it? And I I tell them, if you put your phone down, if you watch it like TV used to be, where that's your focus, it is the single best television ride you can get of any show there is from, from the beginning to the end. Like you take a character like Nancy from the pilot to the last episode, how far she moves, there isn't another show that's been able to do that since then. And that's for all seven characters. No, that's great advice. And it's funny you mentioned Nancy, because how I got to interview you, Mr. Ryan, is that uh, (laughs) we were having the Mother's Day episode and we were choosing our favorite TV moms. And naturally, I chose Nancy Weston. And I was explaining to uh, Stephen Brad uh, that, you know, the reasons why. And it was her journey that was so fascinating and wonderful and like, you know, made me cheer, too, because she started out in such a kind of a meek way and and, and grew in, in... many different ways and, and had challenges. I mean, like the ultimate challenge of her, you know, life. 
and the way she dealt with her family during that trauma too was just i mean amazing amazing well and when i interviewed patty she said that in the beginning when nancy was so weak that her mother called her and said you can't do that on television you know <laughs> i didn't raise you to be weak like this you know you have to stop that and she was like mom that you know that's the character this but i have to play her that way because there are women out there that do this and don't stand up for themselves to their husband and their life or their children and she knew that it was a journey because that's what Ed and Marshall had told her from the beginning because she only has one line in the pilot. Right. And they said, we want to take this person and we're going to rip them all the way down and then we're going to build them up. And it's just an amazing thing to watch. And she went on to win three out of the four years, the Emmy for Best Actress, and she deserved it. Yeah, definitely. I bet her mom felt uh, <laughs> yeah, different <laughs> at the end of the season, at the end of right. the show. Um, so tell me, has your feeling about the show changed after talking to all those people and, and working on the book? Well, it's funny. Um, I, I happened to watch it and go through the whole way right before all of this happened. And that's kind of why then I ended up doing it on the Red Room. And that was probably two years ago, maybe a little bit over two years. Well, I have not watched it since. I. And I'm so curious about what's going to happen. Sometimes I say to my wife, like, when are we going to watch 30-something? And it's going to be weird because I'm going to know everyone who wrote it and I'm going to know everything about it. So I don't think I'm going to watch it for a while because I really do appreciate that journey that you take. I'm not someone who over watches a movie that I love. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I want to appreciate, especially if it's great art. So I don't, I can't answer that question yet. Cause I don't know. I haven't gone back through. I, it'll probably be a while. Yeah, no, it probably feels like you have over and over again, despite not actually having seen it with your eyes. Right. Well, I mean, I knew it so well ahead of time just because I've, it's probably the show, maybe Twin Peaks I've seen more, but um, it's probably the show I've seen the most. Right. So Scott, this is a podcast about the glorious decade that is the 1980s, and 30-something premiered in the later end uh, in 1987, but I think the themes of the show are so timeless, you know, marriage and friendship and parenthood and, and the work world, uh, but I'm curious, what would you say marks this show as sort of growing out of and representing the 80s? Well, I think that your favorite character, Melissa really represented a lot of the 80s. I mean, first of all, you got to throw out like shoulder pads, um, mm -hmm. the the high hair and the the blush that, that, you know, the makeup. So there's a lot of 80s in that sense. Yeah. Ellen, I, Ellen's blush was on yeah. point most of the time. <laughs> and just one more, one more thing in terms of fashion is I don't remember seeing Hope without a scrunchie, like even dressed oh, up to God. go out to dinner. She's still or maybe a gold scrunchie, but... And speaking of scrunchies, it's Sex in the City that I always think of when it comes to Melissa. I really feel that Melissa was the first Carrie Bradshaw. Oh, absolutely. And really defined fashion. The one interview that I didn't get for this book that I really wanted to was Patrick Norris. He was the costume designer. Oh, and yeah. he really influenced the 80s fashion quite a bit. And Melissa, especially with with her her um, outfits and her one earring and um, 
numbers coat. Oh, the numbers coat. She has the numbers coat too. I hope I so. did ask her about that. So she actually does have the numbers coat, and yeah. um, I thought that was really cool. My, yeah. uh, I have a drawing of the numbers coat in the book that my daughter drew for the book. She's a graphic designer, so oh, I was cool. like, I want to get the numbers coat in, and I don't have a picture. I'm like. <laughs> draw this so yeah oh my gosh i loved melissa's wardrobe i to this day will sometimes ask myself would melissa wear this and if she would i uh you know i'll walk out the door although i wind up usually looking more like hope but that's never my intention (laughs) (laughs) it's it's the motherhood and it kind of hopes you up you know right um well in terms of the 80s i I was thinking that i think the different choices that the women characters made throughout the series is, is what kind of says 80s to me, you know, because there were career women. There were also women who, um, like Hope, stayed at home, but they had this ambivalence all the time. And I think the 80s were kind of that time for women, even though I was in high school. And this is, of course, a 2020 hindsight for me. But the way they sort of had to navigate things differently, you know, it was sort of post-women's liberation. Um, and they were clearly as smart and capable as their husbands, but they weren't always given the same choices in a way. Well, and... Here's something that is along those lines, but I think is pretty fascinating. No one in 2017 has the choice. I mean, if if you take these characters and you put them in 2017, the only way Michael and Hope could afford a house is if both couples, you know, both partners worked. Yeah. Because our whole society has changed where we really would never pay anyone enough to support themselves to, to do that. You, it's, you know, might have been a woman's choice in the 80s. And, and now, you know, the top 1% has made that choice for us. Like, right, no, you're, right. you're both going to work. Luxury. Right. And yeah. I think that's something I really hadn't considered till you were saying that about them staying home. Susan Shilliday wrote a lot of the episodes and at the time was married to Marshall Herskovich. She was sort of Nancy's voice as the writer. And mm-hmm. she talks in the book a lot about second wave feminism and, and how it was to write that because they had grown up with that, the leave it to beaver view of life. And now they were in their thirties and, you know, as a viewer now, you don't really see that, but I think they, in the book, they sort of bring and set it into its time frame. Cause I think some of the, the female writers who have a great voice on this show right. probably faced a, a lot of that. Yeah. Interesting. So I want to wrap up by asking you, if the show has taught you any life lessons and I'll tell you one thing that I've always remembered and it was about the work world, which is so funny because you know, uh, Michael and Elliot first, they owned the Michael and Elliot company and then they went to work for miles Strentel. And, um, personally I wound up marrying an ad guy. (laughs) (laughs) So, so it's a little strange how 30 something can sort of, you know, pervade your life. But, um, but one thing I always remembered and it, it, it echoes back to me when I think about work or even just power dynamics in general. Is there's this one episode where Elliot says to Michael about Miles, something to the, I'm paraphrasing, but something like, he can't kill me, he can't hurt my family, what can he do? So basically, he's powerless over me. And I, I just, that, that I always remember that when I think, you know, when I'm in a situation where I like, feel someone has power over me or, you know, I'm in a work situation that's kind of dicey. I always think like, well, that person can't kill me. They can't hurt my family, you know? And it, and I, I, 
I re- it just stuck in my head that it, that I, and it took me a while to re- realize it was from a 30 something. I couldn't remember like, did I read this in a, <laughs> like a self-help book or something? But then I realized it was Elliot. So I'm curious, have you, has the show ever taught you any life lessons like that? It most certainly has. But before I tell mine, I got a comment on yours. I mean, that is beautiful what you just said. And that I know I can picture Timothy Busfield in that scene. Um, that scene has, of course, affected me for my whole life. And that's just one moment. And how great is it that you've remembered that forever? It makes me happy because I have moments like that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to take two. Can I, can I give two? <laughs> oh, yes, you may. You may, you are allowed. Um, so the first one and probably the most important one comes from an episode called Stop at Willoughby. And it's written by Joe Doherty, who wrote the afterword to my book, which was amazing to me that the 30 something writers would do that. Anne Hamilton wrote the foreword and Joe wrote the afterword. Mm-hmm. And when, and it's with Miles and Michael has quit and he's arguing with Miles about it. And Miles says, well, you'll never have this again. You'll never have this much money. You'll never have this much power. And Michael looks at him and says, it's not about that. It's about being honest. And it's about it being your own. And that that moment of owning something and also being true, I was in corporate America for about nine years and it just wasn't for me. And I'm lucky that now I'm in the place to be a a writer and do things on my own. But there were so many times where I faced that and you have to be so dishonest in Mm -hmm. corporate America. And it just wasn't for me. So that speech, and to get to tell Joe Doherty that that speech, you know, shaped my whole life and and what I felt about business. So I like that yours was about that as well. And then the other one is in Michael writes a story when it, and it's just about writing and he, um, he, Michael wants to be a writer so badly. And the, uh, there's a character who's teaching him about writing and she says, what would you give to be a writer? And he says anything. And when I watched that episode as, as a 22 year old, I said out loud, anything, just like Michael, you know, at the same time without even thinking. But then she says, but when a writer disappears, who cares? But when a father disappears or when a husband disappears, it leaves a hole. And, you know, it does make you think about that. So yeah, it, I got a chill. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do every time. And I still when I, you know, it's just hard not to say anything because you think about that with your dream. I'd give up anything. Well, would you? You know, really? So it's a. It, I mean, look at us. We're having a good discussion here. I, I love it. <laughs> I know. And so it must come to an end. <laughs> but um, it's been so great talking to you. I love talking to to um to other 30 something fans. And when the other 30 something fans have become BFF with Melanie Mayron, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> Hey, um, so tell me the, the book comes out June 7th, which as this airs is just a few days. Where can eighties nation buy it? So you can go to my website. It is scottryanproductions.com and I have a hardback and a softback and I will sign it for you and personalize it and you also get a free postcard of the cover awesome. so which is the pictures have never been released before they were all taken on the set and the director of photographer gave them to me for the book i mean there's all kinds of pictures in the book that have never been released so oh that's so cool yeah all right well, and we'll put great. a link to it too as well so so great um, 
so people can get it that way. Well, I am still going to buy it, even though I've read it, because there are so <laughs> few 30-something things, as we've discussed, that I want to own it. So I'm really excited to uh, to get my hands on a... Um, on a three-dimensional real-life copy. I know. It's like the old, it'll be just like the 80s. It's a book. Who'd have thunk it? I know. Crazy, right? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thank you so much, Scott, for, um, for talking with us. And, uh, and I hope the book does incredibly well. It, it, it should. It's, it's a great book. I loved it. Uh, thank you so much, and thanks for having me on. Amazing job. Amazing. I've said it a few times, but I really mean it. <laughs> Thank you. When you were interviewing him, what was the biggest surprise you learned from him? I think it was when he said Ken Olin, when he interviewed Ken Olin, and he said that um, Scott Ryan was one of the first people to ask him about 30-something in many years. I thought that was crazy. Like, I would, I, I would think you would be asked about it every day if you were part of that cast. Um, but yeah, probably that. I wonder if the popularity of the show would, would be helped if, if someone like Netflix or Hulu picked it up and just kind of like, it was always available. You know, like West Wing is always available somewhere. You know, if, if 30 something was always available somewhere and people could like, uh, you know, get, get turned on to it now and be able to see it, that would be kind of a plus. Yeah, I think it would be fun. And I mean, the, it's definitely dated in some ways. I mean, you know, people have the huge cell phone kind of, kind of thing, but, um, I don't know. There, there's a lot of universal themes that are, I feel, going to happen forever and ever. And I, I would hope that people of different generations would give it a shot. But yeah, I'm always crossing my fingers it'll go on Netflix. I got a kick out of the fact that he said that he started out doing these interviews um, for the podcast. And then they, they went on. They were all way too long to use for the podcast. And then he kind of realized he had the makings of his own book. Right. Well, it's kind of the magic of podcasts, right? Like you talk about how much you have a crush on... I don't know, Deborah Foreman, for example, and then all of a sudden you're best friends <laughs> over the, over enough years and enough talk and enough podcasts, you know. That is one of the more bizarre aspects of my life. I will give you yeah. that. Magic um, happens. <laughs> speaking of magic, uh, we are actually going to get an autographed copy of 30 Something and 30 from Scott Ryan. Um, we're going to give it away um, to um, a fan of the show. Here's how you can enter to win. You need to email us at podcast at sit80s.com with 30 something in the subject line. And we invite you to tell us what you remember about the show, share your favorite memory of the show. Um, we will, um, we'll pick our favorite, um, uh, response and when you will have an autographed copy of the book. Yay. Yeah. And I think I, I, uh, Scott mentioned it in the interview, but, um, the book actually, as, as this will drop this episode, um, just went on sale this week. So it's brand new, uh, and you can get the hard cover or the soft cover, at scottryanproductions.com. So if you don't win the book, but do try to win the book, I, I would love to read other people's memories. <laughs> in the meantime, if you want to win something else, there's only one way to do it at Stuck in the 80s. The, the Seggies. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for mystery movie moment. Uh, you know the drill here. We will play a snippet from a movie in the 80s. If you get it right, you're entered into the uh, drawing for some Stuck in 80s swag. Um, maybe Brad will bring back something from Mexico to give away, like uh, 80 tiny sombreros or something like that. I don't know. 
Um, pay attention. Here's our clip from the last show. God is our co-pilot. Huh? Remember our car? Yeah. Two seats. Two seats. Where's he gonna sit? No big surprise there. That's Cannonball Run. I think I only made about four references to it during the show. <laughs> so, uh, Jen's here instead of Brad. So, Jen, why don't you read some of the winners? I would love to. Winners include Jay Swash in Beaver Creek, Canuck and Callie, Carol Parrott, DJ and Clinton, Todd Cunningham, Dave Dirt, Dave Augie August, Todd in Minnesota, Brock in North Dakota, Joseph Perdue, and my trivia from the cruise buddy, Ryan the Pirate. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I forgot you guys were, were close friends. Uh, pay attention. Here's this week's uh, mystery clip. Fellas, the frog's ass watertight. If you know it, email us at podcast at sit80s.com. Not sit80s at gmail.com, which some people are still doing. And if you do that, you lessen your chance of winning. I can guarantee you. Uh, and then tune in next week to find out if you're a wiener. <laughs> Ah, the mystical refrain that is named that 80s tune. Uh, We'll play a snippet of a song from the 80s. This time, uh, if you get it right, again, entered into the drawing for some swag. Pay attention. Here was the clip from the last show. Yes, it took you guys long enough. That's Queen of the Broken Hearts by Loverboy. You got it on the second try. I didn't even get it on the second try, to tell you the truth. Really? I don't yeah, see you as a big Loverboy fan, though. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. Have you ever seen them live? I have not, no. They're really good. They're really you know, loud, a friend too. Of mine, yeah, a friend of mine said that, too, that they were good. Yeah, it's all hits, and you're, you forget how many they have. I mean, they, they'll never play it. They won't play a song that you don't know. I guarantee you. So Nice. They're like Foreigner, like that. Yes, exactly. Um, but uh, just... Really, really fun. I'm so glad because they're going to be on the um, 80s cruise in 2018, and they'll also be at 80s in the Sand. So nice. I get, I'm going to have my fill of Loverboy. And hopefully I'm going to have them on the phone here shortly. I'm, I'm trying to get Mike Reno back on the phone to talk a little bit about those upcoming shows. So we'll see if oh, that cool. happens or not. Waiting to hear. Yeah, good luck. Uh, in the meantime, why don't you read some of the winners? The winners include Garrett in Houston, Christine in Philly, Jeff in Chester, Kurt in Dirty Jersey, who would have answered but missed the last show being on vacation. Excuses, excuses. Dave, Augie, August, Todd in Minnesota, Brock in North Dakota, and OJ in Spain. <laughs> Brad's not here to spin the wheel, so you get to do it this time. Okay. Uh, it. <laughs> that was good. I hope you didn't hurt yourself. Uh, it's going to land on Garrett in Houston. It lands on you, my friend. Uh, send us your snail mail address and we will mail you out something, um, sooner than later. It might be later than sooner. I should say, um, it will be mailed out in our lifetime. I promise We're, we'll get better at this. <laughs> in the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery tune. If you know it, email us at podcast at sit80s.com tune in next week to find out if you're a winner um by the way for our next show hopefully um brad will be back and uh, we, we want to read you a bunch of um letters that we got after our graduation in the 80s show oh, awesome um we got some other people who emailed us with their stories about their graduation and there's one 
story. I don't want to oversell it, but uh, we were still waiting for permission to use it. Although it's somewhat implied that if you mail us, you know, unless you tell us not to, we kind of figure you're okay with us reading it on the, on the show. But, um, one of our West coast uh, fans, uh, um, has a story that's so sad. It makes, it makes my story seem like, you know, Krusty the clown or something like that. It is, it is epically, uh, just depressing. Um, I mean, nobody dies or anything, but still, I mean, I, I would think that if you, that happened, you, you wouldn't even want to talk to us about anything. But anyway, so if you have some stories, if, you're, if you've been holding back and you think you have a good story about your own graduation in the 80s, either college or um, high school, uh, if, email if, us. If you, had an, if you had an all-nighter, say, <laughs> yeah, definitely write in. Right, it does, especially. Um, or I mean, if you had a really epic night or if you had a really tragic night. Either way, you know, whatever it is that uh, floats your boat. And we will, we will try to read them on the next show. Um, if you enjoy, if you're always enjoying our shows, if you if you're liking the podcast, we remind you go to iTunes and write a review. We love that; it helps the show. It also helps the show if you uh, visit HelloFresh.com. They are one of the sponsors of our show. Um, they are the meal delivery service that gives you uh, tasty, delicious meals uh, that you can prepare in 30 minutes or less. I had tonight Dover Soul with salsa verde, and um, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can save three dollars. Really what? I have to, I'm, I'm sorry for interrupting. They have a really good burger too. Do they really? I, it's yeah. always you get to choose what you want every week, and the burger's always an option. And I'm always like, I'm like, oh, I can make my own burger, but but you're saying it's worth trying. Well, what's weird is I had the same thought of like, why don't I just go and make a burger? Like, but the I don't know the potatoes, everything about it is delicious. So yeah, highly recommend the burger. It, it's always what I don't expect to be really amazing that really blows my socks off. Uh, anyway, you can save thirty bucks off your first order if you use the code Radical Thirty, and uh, in doing so, you really help us here at the podcast. Um, in the meantime, uh, don't forget email us with thirty something in the subject line with your favorite. Uh, story or memory of the show and you're entered into the uh, drawing for the autographed book by Scott Ryan. Where can you buy the book again, Jen? You can buy it at scottryanproductions.com. Oh my God. Excellent. Great interview again. Amazing job. We're going to give you more of these to do, by the way, just so you know. Yay, you, please, you, please do. <laughs> if you need someone to interview John Taylor, I'm your gal. <laughs> He's, yeah. I, hey, if, I, if we land John Taylor, you can have him after the job you did today. Oh, yay. <laughs> In the meantime, myself, Jen with one end, Scott Ryan, uh, and those fabulous people who gave us amazing memories with 30-something. We remain here, hopelessly, stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is a class of 85 production. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And remember, this is only an exhibition, not a competition. Please, no wagering. by the light of the moon.